welcome back. Yeah. So uh, we come to you with some shame in our voices today because there was supposed to be a new episode coming out today, and we don't have one. Although we kind of do, David. Oh, we have a short for you. We yes. do have new content, but not a new episode. Are uh, we? Are we using the word content? What's what's wrong with the word content? I don't know. It just feels like very kind of media tech 2.0 2016. It feels like a little anathema to what we're doing here. Wait, what is tech 2.0? David, you're you're missing the the cart for the horse here. Okay, what I'm saying is, what what I'm trying to do is apologize to everyone who we promised a new episode to. It's not there. We don't have a full episode, but we have a short, and it's a very good one. Yeah, if you've been following our BDS Watch Watch hashtag on Twitter, you've probably read about this big anti-BDS conference uh, that happened at the United Nations. It was organized by Israel's ambassador to the UN. Yes, it's a lovely mix of, on the one hand, downplaying any threat of BDS to the integrity of the Israeli state, and on the other hand, fear-mongering and paying for students to fly across the country to attend a large-scale conference in New York City. Yeah, there's some pretty wacky stuff that came out of it. And Naomi Dan, an organizer with Jewish Voice for Peace, was actually in attendance. So we called her up and asked her a bit about what went on at the conference. But David, before we get to that, I was wondering if you check the Twitter this week. Yep. Uh, anything about uh, leavened bread come to mind? What, like leavened? Are you talking about the raisin challah person? I am talking about the raisin challah person and the fact that they affirmed my particular position on the value and worth and general amazingness of Raisin Challah. Oh, that's great. You found someone else who likes Raisin Challah. Wow. Uh, one more person than you found on Twitter to defend your anti-Raisin Challah position. Well, I didn't know I was supposed to find someone on Twitter. I mean, I didn't find anyone either. They came out of the blue. <laughs> well, that's great. Yep. Once again, one for Raisin Challah and zero for not Raisin Challah. Wait, do you know who this person was? Not at all. If they're listening and you want to direct message us and tell us who you are, that's great. All right. Well, that was a good social media tangent. I'd say it was a five or six out of ten. I'd say more of a four. All right. Agree to disagree. Um, let's get to the interview with Naomi. Hello, this is Naomi. Hey, Naomi. Uh, it's David calling. Hi. <laughs> hey, how are, you, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, Sam's here as well. Nice to talk to you guys. Uh, so, Naomi, is it okay if we just jump into it? Yeah. So, just to start off, would you mind telling people a bit about who you are? So I'm the media coordinator at Jewish Voice for Peace. Uh, my job entails sort of everything from responding to press inquiries and helping to shape our message and the media work that we do, and also supporting our chapters and members, getting their opinions and messages heard, and working with allies to make sure that the movement for Palestinian rights is being heard in the U.S. I came to this work after being a student activist at Vassar College and really quickly started organizing both among Jews and among other social justice groups for Palestinian rights um, and then was thrown into this work full time um, around the beginning of Israel's assault on Gaza in 2014. So Naomi, at the end of May, there was an anti-BDS summit at the United Nations uh, and your post about it got a bunch of traction on the Jewish internet. Could you talk a little bit about uh, what that conference was like? Yeah. Um, so the Israeli mission to the UN hosted a conference using the United Nations facilities called Ambassadors Against BDS. Um, and it was designed to both be sort of an informational session about 
what Israel and other Israel advocates are doing to fight the movement for Palestinian rights. And it was also intended to be a space for training young Jewish students primarily on how to combat BDS on their campuses. The conference focused mostly on both messaging on campuses and on the legal efforts to shut down this movement for Palestinian rights. So the Israeli ambassador was able to essentially book the UN like it was like like a hall? Yeah. Um, as far as I know, and I don't know what the UN's rules are, they were able to just book the space. That doesn't mean that the United Nations endorsed it, but that was definitely a key talking point from the podium and from attendees at the conference. Israel's ambassador to the UN was saying from the podium, isn't it ironic that we're here in this hall of shame this place that is usually so opposed to Israel, and here we are triumphant organizing this conference to fight the delegitimization of Israel. And so it was really interesting to hear and use this platform both to legitimize what is really a movement that's about silencing advocates for Palestinian human rights, and also to be critical of the UN even while they're in that space. So Naomi, what kind of organizations were represented at the conference? One of my biggest takeaways was just how shocking it was to see mainstream Jewish organizations who frame themselves really in terms of liberal values, like the Anti-Defamation League, like Hillel, who are sites for Jewish community, being on the same panel and presenting at the same conference as much further right, much more extremist organizations like the Zionist Organization of America or NGO Monitor or the American Center for Justice and Law, which does things like fun anti-abortion legislation. Um, it was interesting to see the ADL's Jonathan Greenblatt speak on a panel right before um, someone from the American Center for Justice and Law, which is a Christian right-wing fundamentalist legal center that opposes a lot of the liberal values and freedoms and civil rights that the ADL purports to support. So I'm not sure if you can remember all 10 things you learned that you mentioned in your uh, Twitter essay, but was there one or two things that stood out? There are a couple of things that stood out to me. One was that this is about training advocates for Israel. And so a lot of it focused on like what messaging to say and who to speak to. And pollster Frank Luntz and a couple other sort of PR strategist folks spoke on different panels throughout the day. And the message um, that they brought in the materials and the presentations they gave were that the pro-Israel community is failing to speak to people who are supporting BDS because they're failing to speak to people who have liberal values, who care about human rights. So they were saying that what they needed to do was reframe all their advocacy using the language that BDS advocates are using to talk about the values that we care about. The advice that they gave was every other word that comes out of your mouth when you're talking about Israel should be peace. You should express that you have empathy, empathy for Palestinians, but always have to make sure you put that in the proper context. And for them, the proper context was, you know, saying Israel is in a bad neighborhood and Israel needs to defend itself. And one of the things that really struck me was sort of the underlying anti-Muslim messages and and really racist messages that were so inherent in the discourse of the pro-Israel advocacy, saying Israel is in a bad neighborhood, has all of these connotations about the way that cities or, or geographic spaces that are inhabited by racialized bodies become known as, as dangerous. And that's a, one of the framing that's used both like in American cities and um, globally to, to justify security measures that are, are violent. So 
at the beginning of the year, there was a lot of talk in the Jewish press and from the Jewish institutions about intersectionality. Um, there was some macher from the University of California school system who, who wrote this tract about the need to kind of engage with lefties, liberals. Do you see this as like a very clear extension of that project? And by the same token, as kind of uh, an organizer at JVP, is this like a shift that you see happening across the board? Uh, yes, definitely. Uh, I think that there's been real anxiety over the last year as Israel advocacy groups have realized that they're losing constituencies that care about social justice, that they need to be doing a better job of framing their advocacy within those terms and reaching out to people across different groups. And so that was the advice that they were giving to students was it's all about relationship building. So it was really interesting to hear them use the language of organizing and say it's all about relationship building. You need to show up for your allies in other minority groups, is how they put it, because if we want them to show up for us, we have to show up for them. And that kind of framing was this sort of transactional solidarity, I think. It was very clearly not rooted in the approach that organizations like JVP or people who are involved on campuses and intersectional struggles seeing the ways that different types of oppression are connected and seeing both shared interests in in struggling against those oppressions together. Um, But the way that that's being used by Israel advocates is to say, you know, we have to have this sort of transactional relationship. If we show up for their protest, maybe they'll show up for our protest, but really devoid of the analysis about why, why those things are connected. In reading one of the accounts of the conference, I think it was in Renia Kalik's account, there was a description of one of the speakers actually declining to project several slides of his presentation because he was informed that there were journalists there and there were people there from leftist groups. It just seemed like it was projecting this general anxiety about this strategy being publicized. Was that something that you felt? Like, was there's there this feeling of being under siege? Uh, it was actually a really, there was a bizarre sense where the speakers were both trying to project that they were winning and that they are, there was power there, um, but it really was framed as if it was coming from a place of victimhood. And it was really interesting to hear, you know, Israel advocacy groups have a lot of power in the United States, particularly in, with their relationships with elected officials. Um, and it was interesting to hear them say, you know, we've got this, don't worry about it, kids, it's going to be okay, we're going to beat this movement where they're not the underdogs at all, actually. In that particular case, the speaker was Frank Luntz, who is a GOP pollster and a Republican PR strategist who was providing some of his own analysis of of what kinds of messages and words work with convincing their audience and where public opinion is right now about BDS and about Israel's actions. And I believe that Rania tried to interview him right before he went up to speak. And that's why he declined to show some of his slides, which actually were leaked in an article in Mondo Weiss a couple months ago, some of the connected slides. So none of this strategy is really a secret. But I do think that there was this sense of that they have failed so far. Um, the BDS movement is continuing to grow and is continuing to bring in people who see the intersection of Palestinian rights with other struggles that they care about. And so far, the actions by Israel's defenders are are not working. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us. Um, I know that JVP had a funding drive happening recently. Is there anything you want to tell folks who are listening to the show? Yeah, actually, we just wrapped up our first ever membership drive. Um, We got over 2,000 new members just in the month of May. But if listeners to Chase care about JVP's work and didn't become a member during that time, you still can. We will always welcome you. Um, And membership dues are just $18 a year, um, and you get to join 
a growing community of progressive Jewish activists who care about Palestinian rights. Thanks again for uh, talking with us today, Naomi. Thank you both.